Welcome to a Nutrition and Clinical Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Jeanette Hassey, the Editor-in-Chief of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The theme for our August 2019 issue of NCP is micronutrients. So joining me today is Dr. Edward Tabor, who wrote a commentary for us on the current status of multi-trace element products for parenteral nutrition in the U.S., and that article is published in the August 2019 issue of NCP. Dr. Tabor is the Vice President for Regulatory Affairs in North America with Fresenius Cobby. But I think what makes Dr. Tabor uniquely qualified for this, this discussion is his work in the FDA. Dr. Tabor was the director of two FDA divisions, one in the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, and one in the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. And in those positions, he led the review and approval of drug products and in vitro test detect viruses. Dr. Tabor has also participated in the development of many FDA policies and policy documents. So welcome you, Dr. Tabor, for joining, and thank you for joining me today. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to ask Dr. Tabor if he has any disclosures on this topic that he'd like to share with us. The only disclosure I have is that at the present time, I'm a, a full-time employee of Fresenius Cobby, a manufacturer of products for parental nutrition. Thank you. So our August issue, as I mentioned, is focusing on micronutrients. And so your invited commentary addresses an important issue that many of our nutrition support practitioners and even myself are not fully aware of. And that's how trace element products we use for parenteral nutrition are regulated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. So just to start out, can you kind of tell us how trace elements are viewed by the FDA? FDA regulates parental nutrition products as drugs. They can consider parental nutrition products to be drugs because the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, the main law empowering FDA, defines uh, a drug as an article intended for use in the diagnosis, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease, and articles intended to affect the structure or function of the body of man. So uh, parental nutrition clearly affects the structure and function of the body, and so FDA regulates parental nutrition uh, products as drugs. These um, products, including trace elements, are reviewed through the same procedures that FDA applies when reviewing therapeutic drugs, such as anti-cancer drugs or antibiotics, and the clinical requirements that FDA expects uh, companies making these products to fulfill are generally the same. Specifically, uh, they expect uh, there to be evidence of safety and efficacy from at least two, quote, adequate and well-controlled studies, close quote. So, uh, Dr. Tabor, what, if any, role does the FDA have when it comes to trace elements, specifically oversight of a manufacturing, approval of products, safety monitoring, et cetera? Well, certainly FDA oversees the manufacturing of any product that has been approved by uh, FDA. The problem for parental nutrition patients is that all of the multi-trace element products sold in the United States have never been approved by FDA. Now, the historical reasons for this are, are not clear, but by lacking FDA approval, these products are not subject to FDA's examination of them and the requirements regarding manufacturing practices and quality control procedures. The products are not subject to the pre-approval FDA inspection of the manufacturing plant that they would have otherwise, 
nor to the periodic FDA inspections that may occur. Though they could be inspected by FDA if there were an adverse event occurring or a complaint, but perhaps the most important negative impact of the lack of FDA approval of these products is that the products lack FDA oversight of product labeling. Most prescribers rely heavily on FDA approved labeling of products for information on the precautions and contraindications for those products and for an up-to-date list of what adverse events uh, they should look for. So as nutrition support clinicians, we've seen these waves of shortages for different parenteral nutrition components over the last several years, including trace elements. So what role does the current process for approval of trace elements in the market do to these shortages? Well, the, the, the current approval process that I referred to earlier um, is appropriate for therapeutic products, but it creates a very high bar for nutritional products. Setting the bar too high discourages the development of new products and discourages additional manufacturers from entering the field. When conditions arise that may cause shortages, as will happen from time to time, uh, such as in the case of the uh, emergencies in Puerto Rico during the past year, there will not be the resources available that can protect PN patients from shortages. And this has happened for almost every PN product at some time during the past decade. In the case of trace elements, it can clearly be ascribed to the fact that there's only one company making most of the trace element products. Dr. Tabor, in your commentary, you also provided maybe some alternate suggestions for regulation of parental nutrition components. So can you kind of, two, two questions, can you briefly share your thoughts on this with our listeners? And then also as Aspen members and as listeners to this podcast, give us some feedback on what we can do to encourage or be a part of needed changes. First of all, I'd like to say that the suggested alternative ways to regulate parental nutrition products are only suggestions. My purpose in giving those was to show that there are potential alternatives. But just to discuss one example, it might be possible to regulate parental nutrition products such as trace elements by permitting efficacy to be certified by FDA expert panels. Because for, for instance, for trace elements, we, we know that they have been used for decades in both the oral formulations and in IV formulations, and we know that they work. A similar program to this uh, was conducted by FDA uh, between the 1960s to the 1980s, known as the Drug Efficacy Study Implementation Program, or DESI for short. The DESI program was conducted by the National Academy of Science under a contract with FDA. And the DESI reviews were conducted by 30 panels, each with six professionals on them, who reviewed the efficacy of more than 3,400 drugs that had been approved between the years 1938 to 1962, because the, during that period of time, they had been approved based on safety alone. And thus the DESI evaluation of efficacy was used as a basis for allowing these products to remain on the market. But again, this is only an example to show that there are other potential alternatives. As far as what Aspen members can do, I think it's important to always remember that Aspen 
is the leading organization in the United States. For those of us who are involved in the uh, care of parental nutrition patients, and Aspen in this regard is in a unique position to convince FDA and if necessary, the Congress to work to prevent parental nutrition shortages before they occur. Thus, we as Aspen members uh, can work together to help prevent future shortages. One aspect of prevention would be to ensure that parental nutrition products such as trace elements can get to the patients more expeditiously than they can at present. So, Dr. Tabor, before we close today, I just wanted to find out if you had any other additional comments that you'd like to share with our listeners. I think it's very important for all of us in the parental nutrition community to be aware of how these life-saving products become available to patients. It's not just a question of developing the product, but it's also a question of getting it through the regulatory process and bringing it to market. We should all learn about this process because by knowing about it, we can know uh, what the obstacles are uh, to uh, approval and know how better to present our uh, findings and our, our new developments to the FDA so the products can become available to patients. I appreciate your conversation today, Dr. Tabor. I personally learned a lot from reading your commentary and listening to you today. So I invite all of our readers to find out more about micronutrients uh, with this commentary and all the other articles that are in the August 2019 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Tabor. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here.